Do you remember falling out of the hole? You've been selected for a trip to Rio. When called to answer, do you go to and fro, recalling as you would the falling of snow? You're listening to To Whom It May Concern, a live monthly show in Los Angeles, California, where folks read their letters on stage. Real letters they've written, letters they've received, correspondence back and forth, improvised letters based on audience suggestions, and letters we wish we could write. Greg Venneclausen reads letters his great-great-grandfather Archie wrote in the early 1900s to his soon-to-be wife, recounting daily life in Arizona as a civil engineer. Phoenix, Arizona, December 11th, 1911. Dearest mine, just a week from tonight, I shall be getting ready to take the 7.30 train to California. It will be a happy day. By this time, you have crossed over to Avalon. I was looking at the map today and see several good-sized islands outside of Catalina. Wouldn't it be fun to have a party and go to a desert island to play? (laughs) Robert and I have plunged. We have bought two lots together, which will make a fine big corner lot. They are the ones I told you about previously. We do not expect, of course, to build right away but think the proposition very favorable for making a good profit as a speculation. And at the same time, they will make a very good home location if we should want to use them for that. Engineer, remember? Last night, Susan's was so anxious to have an excuse for getting away from the prince's house to fix up the home for us that she thought we might tell Mr. P of our coming event. So I did. Well, he almost fell over. He had not realized how close to the facts he had been when joking with me. He was very nice about it, though. He shook my hand heartily and then said, neither of us could have done any better. He promised to keep very quiet about it until I said the word. He told us the next letter he'd send to Mrs. Prince was about our time at Camelback Mountain. He told her the damage was done. He suggested the hole in the rock into which we climbed would be very appropriate for a marriage altar. But he thought we certainly did quick work. Susan defended us and said that was the kind of work to do. If I write a letter, this is, uh, if I write a letter Saturday, dearie, you would not get it at Avalon and could not get it at Los Angeles on Sunday. So I guess that this will be the last one. I'll be a letter myself Tuesday morning. Oh, now I think again, you will get it if it's addressed to Los Angeles, so I'll do that. A letter from my brother reports my father better, but still pretty bad. Tomorrow is election day here for the ratification of the new constitution and election of state officers. It is fun to see the kind of campaigning they do here. Now, I don't get lonesome much in the house alone because I have pleasant thoughts and think of everything as connected with you. I'm pleased as can be to know that you will go up to the courthouse with me and get the license. They surely won't refuse the license when they see how well we look together. We will get it the first thing after I arrive. It will be nice to go to an opera or something that night we are in LA. Just go ahead and arrange anything that looks good to you. 
Shall enjoy stopping at Aunt Laura's. Will there be lots of company present? Well, I have to get on my best expression to meet them. I'm happy to hear how well your side is. Dr. Palmer asked about you today. He takes a lot of interest. He looked me all over, too, and pronounced me OK. I had him test my lungs and everything. I have most of my things, too, dear, except my suit, which has not yet arrived. They expect it soon. It is fine for you to be all ready and at ease. Rest up, be happy, my dearest, until I come. Then, be happy, too. Good night, dear wife-to-be, yours ever, Archie. <laughs> so a few years later, it's a little drier. Dearest, have had another of those hot desert trips today with the county supervisors. They're all chewing over the way to take care of those cave creek floods. They don't know whether they want to accept our solution to the problem or not. As the Paradise Verde District owns the water and the dam, they will probably have to consider us. It is hard for me to get a chance to write. They come up and talk to me so continuously that I write a few words and then have to stop. It breaks the continuity of my writing. I've found that the SP train carries mail and leaves here at 6.30, so it gives me another chance to get a note out to you. Mr. Michael and Mr. Ludden have just gone downstairs now, and it's four minutes past six, so I can do a little better. I got two letters from you today, dated the 30th and 31st of August. I'm so glad you enjoyed Teresa's visit and glad to hear how you celebrated Mama's birthday. I wish Louise would write a good long letter about her trip to Catalina. Little she guesses her personal relationship to the island, does she? She was born nine months to the day. I would have wanted you to go only that I selfishly hoped that when one of us went there, I, it would also be both. I have prices quoted for two music books recommended for Louise's age by Lulu Allen, and I'm going to send for them for her birthday. I'm also watching for a good book for her to read. You haven't said anything about my razors and honing. It's a great nuisance not to have them. I'm all right. I only wish I could spend my time in Los Angeles or a more comfortable place. But the nights and early mornings are good. Don't crowd the garage too full. <laughs> Love always, Archie. Michael Patrick Duggan reads a letter from an old friend that needs no preface, as he prefers to let us figure it out as he goes. August 16th, 1996. Dear Mick, that's me, I hope you, this finds you well and comfortable back in your beloved New York City. And I am very sorry that the trip to Costa Rica was not to your liking. <laughs> but honestly, you never were the type for roughing it. Now I know what you will say, that it was more than roughing it. I could tell that you were upset by Bill and the others at the compound, and you blamed them for your inability to finish your novel on time. Well, guess what? You are a grown man, Michael Patrick Duggan. <laughs> you could have told them to stay out of your work area and leave you alone, but instead you did what you always do. You folded like a house of cards. Finishing your book was your own responsibility, and I will not allow you to poison the air with blame. If you need to point the finger, mister, look in a mirror. <laughs> <laughs> 
Because procrastination does not happen from external sources. It happens from within. I also take issue with your assertion that we were living in a sex cult. Yes, the compound was and is a haven for people who are sometimes misunderstood. People who are looking for a little more out of life than things like instant plumbing and modern amenities. But that doesn't make it a cult. And just because we also look for a bit of sensuality in our lives, that doesn't make us bad people. Yes, there were some drugs. But again, I remind you, what a person ingests does not inform that person's character. I would have thought that you would have been more understanding about that. After all, you have had a few misadventures of your own in your own time. Or does the name Liz Franks mean anything to you? Why so judgmental? Could it be that you could have been just maybe a little bit jealous of us? I promise that I won't judge, but some of the others think that you were the one who called in those National Guards who knocked down the front gate. <laughs> Do you realize how much damage they did to the property? Please, please promise me that it wasn't you who called them. Anywho, change of topic. <laughs> I am back in Miami now for the moment and looking at what will be my next great adventure. I am thinking that I might follow the motorcycle trail that Che Guevara took from Argentina to Peru before he became friends with Fidel Castro. I would invite you to go with me, but I know that you would never go on such an adventure. It would take too much time away from your precious New York City and your writing career. And I know how important those things are to you. Change of topic again. <laughs> so how is your love life? You know, I am currently seeing a woman named Pam. She is amazing and beautiful. You may remember her from college. She was the one who you said had witchy eyes because of their amazing aquamarine color. You will be happy to know that she is no longer a practicing alcoholic and has given up Wicca. All I did was fix the grammar on this letter, by the way. <laughs> we are now exploring the Kabbalah together. In case you are curious, I will spare you a trip to the library. Kabbalah is a set of Jewish mystical teachings. They predate the Bible and are more pure than any other religion. In fact, we have learned that the Kabbalah predates humanity itself. <sighs> okay, my hand is getting tired, and I am nearly ready to wind this up. I hope that you will write back to me soon, preferably by the end of September, at the Miami address enclosed on the card. If you wait longer than that, you will need to write to the San Diego address, Caravan Marie. She and I have grown quite close in the last few months after the compound was raided, and I had to go to her with no belongings. <laughs> Anne Marie vouched for me and got me back in the country after the fire burned my papers. And she has been a great source of comfort to me. That is why only she will be able to find me after I go on the great South American trip following the Che Guevara Cheryl. 
Well, that's it. I hope that you are healthy and well, and I look forward to seeing you again. Perhaps next time we will go somewhere together that you will enjoy more than the rainforest. I hear that Minnesota boasts the world's largest shopping mall. Perhaps that's more to your liking. I am kidding. Well, time to go. <laughs> Be well and write back soon. I mean that. I really was kidding. <laughs> Love, Robin. P.S. I really was kidding. <laughs> I know that you hate going to malls. P.P.S. Seriously. Promise me that you did not call the National Guard. Thank you. Peggy Etra and Henry Watkins improvise letters based on the audience suggestion of siblings corresponding during World War II. My dearest sister Catherine Marie, Sally Smythe III, or as I will call you from here on out, Turd Bucket. Oh, war is nothing like that seems to be on the posters. It's very dusty, and the men are rough and crude. You'd love it. <laughs> I have been sleeping under the stars, and I've been able to pick out several constellations. I miss you. Pinch our little brother for me, and please untie my cat. I know that you have tied her up, because you said you would. I miss you more than anything. Your brother, Dumpy. Dear Dumpy, you sure were right about the cat. He got loose for a little while, but I tied him up again. Don't worry, I'm sure he'll survive the war. I hope Germany's gonna be fun for you, or the Pacific. I hear they're gonna ship you all over the place. I'm sure you'll survive every little bit of it. Bring back your legs. <laughs> Mom and Dad seem kinda worried and distracted. They're growing a victory garden in the back. I helped plant the celery, but then I crushed it with my foot. I was hoping that maybe something different would grow. I planted pennies instead, hoping that it would be money. Oh, Dumpy. I remember our walks when we were little children, how I'd hit you with sticks, and I'd hope that you wouldn't grow taller if I hit you on the head. And I hope that you'd grow shorter when I hit you in the backs of the legs. I did it out of love. Really. Your sister, Bus Buckets. P.S. Is that what you call me? Dear Fuss Bucket. Oh, he never remembers anything. It's Turd Bucket. Those were good times. I so enjoyed when you would hit me and then I'd hit you and then mom would yell and then the cat would scratch us both. I keep the two pennies you gave me in my pocket and now I'm imagining that you put pennies in the ground hoping that trees of money would grow just like the pennies I have in my pocket makes me think of you. Listen, I don't care about that cat. I really don't. I believe it's rabid, and I think you should just let it go. It'd be the best for everyone. 
Ugh, celery. Really, what is wrong with our parents? Ah, oh. well, let me tell you something. I have no idea where they're sending me next, and I can't tell you if, even if they did tell me, because it's a secret. War is hell. I can't joke about that. But I'll tell you what. When I get back, when Mom and Dad go to sleep, we will plant a tree and tie dollar bills to it and say that the money tree grew overnight. I look forward to your next letter, Dumpy. Dear Dumpy, I have some really bad news about Mom and Dad. They've both been sent to a sanitarium. They ate bad celery. It's just me and the cat here alone at the house now. But I'm hoping the money garden will really start growing soon. I got rid of all the other vegetables and just planted money. So far, nothing. The cat and I sit by the radio listening to President Roosevelt. He says the war will be over soon, <laughs> probably by the end of 1942. I'm so excited to get some souvenirs from you when you finally get home. Please bring me something German. <laughs> hint, hint, I hope they send you to Germany. <laughs> I hope they're getting ready for the big push. That's what everyone's talking about here, that you're gonna invade France. Oh, I hope you're on the first boat. More potatoes for me at dinner. Just kidding. I really do want you to make it home. I swear. Still, more potatoes for me. Your loving sister, Puss Bucket. Dear Puss Bucket, I have reread your letter at least six times. And with each reading, it dawns on me, you're not a very nice person. I was going to introduce you to my bunkmate, Steve, but I have since rethought that. I think I'll introduce you to Ralph. He's a real bastard. <laughs> Marisol reads two letters on the 20th anniversary of her brother's death. All right, so tonight I'm going to be reading Two letters from the time when my little brother died 20 years ago this week. And before I get into that, I, I want to first tell you guys a little bit about him. My little brother was basically the complete opposite of me. You know, where I was cautious, he was completely fearless. You know, we went to a ski resort once, and I couldn't do the bunny hill. While my brother gets on the lift, goes to the highest peak, first time on skis, and comes down perfectly, no problem. He was like seven, eight years old or something. He also, you know, I can't make money to save my life. My brother, at the age of five, was going around with like a little cart and selling Capri Suns at the park. Mm -hmm. He also was a complete romantic. He was absolutely amazing, I guess, with the ladies. Like, I was really into troubadour poems for some reason at one point in my life, uh, in my teens, and my little brother found all the poems that I was collecting, and he actually would use those poems and write them as if he had written them to the lady that he was going to woo. 
Yeah. I think he was like 12, you know. So, but as fun and as active as he was, sadly, he also got into just a lot of trouble all the time. He was ADD and like, you know, in the school system, if you've got that type of brain, it's kind of hard for you. So he was getting in trouble at school all the time, bad grades. We knew the names of all the cops in the neighborhood because they would constantly find him doing something wrong. You know, and, and of course it was always my mom who's the one who always had to get called for all this stuff. So anyways, uh, and I think it all just came to a head. I mean, also I have to say this was also early 90s and I feel like there was also a lot of violence just in general. There was just a feel of it. and. Um, there were a lot of gangs starting to infiltrate the school system and my brother started to kind of flirt with that whole scene. And I think everything kind of came to a head when my little brother even purchased a gun and pulled it out on my older brother during a fight. And at that point, my mom was just like, that's it, we're leaving the city, we're going back to the suburbs. And uh, so we went to the suburbs and actually everything was going great. My brother started doing better in school. He got a job. We even started to kind of get along because, you know, I mean, even though he's my little brother and I love him and everything, I mean, truth be told, he's my little brother. We totally got on each other's nerves and we couldn't stand each other. And, you know, we were just so opposite. We just didn't understand one another. Um, but sadly then, like, Two weeks before he died, we finally actually started to get along and we finally understood one another and it was just awesome. And we even made plans to see a movie together. And we never made plans, by the way, to do anything ever together. But the day before we were supposed to go see the movie, three guys, um, a 14-year-old, a 16-year-old, and a 17-year-old, beat him with baseball bats in the back of the head while he was at work taking out the trash. He was 15, and I was 19. Anyways, and it was crazy, because that, that night, I had a date back in the city. I drive home, and I never got home early on a Saturday night. Get home, and I find my mom in the dark in a complete daze, and she tells me, we have to go to the hospital. I'm like, what? She's like, yeah, uh, they called from the hospital. Uh, Frank's been hurt. Can you please drive me to the hospital? So we get to the hospital, and we found him there on a stretcher and um, writhing in so much pain. And my dad and my mom and I, we were able to at least hold, hold his hand and try to give him some comfort, and we just kept telling him over and over again, I love you, we're here, we're here with you, I love you, I love you, we're here for you. And um, then they had to take him um, in the helicopter to the medical center, where when we finally got over there, they had induced him into a coma to help with the brain swelling. Two weeks later, or about a week and a half later or so, he... Um, it wasn't getting any better, and we had to make the decision to um, see what happened if we took him off life support, which we did, and he passed away. Anyways, and I found this letter that my mom had written to my little brother. It's only half done. She never finished it. She, you know, it's crazy because I, I love my mom and I admire her so much, and uh, we two are very different from each other, but I, I think she's amazing and so strong. And after all of this, what her and my dad had to go through. But I have to say, now after, after having a baby, after having a baby boy, I'm like, holy, holy shit. Um, even more so. I just, I just love her so much more. Okay.
mi querido Frank, which means my darling Frank. Well, I'll write to you in English because you cannot read Spanish. Sweetheart, my life, my dear son, I hope you can see me and read this letter. I am trying to figure out where you are. I ask our God, our Lord Jesus Christ, to tell me, and I don't care how, but I'm still searching and looking for you like when a mother loses her child here on earth, everywhere. I have asked for signs since the day after you completely left this earth, and God has given me some beautiful ones, but I guess what I want is to be able to touch and see you again in the human or earthly way. I hope, and then she goes, Abuela, that's my grandmother, fell down and because of a scratch in her hand, ended up in the ER here in Seattle, Washington. So I lost the train of thought and what I was telling you about, it is 1.30 a.m. I hope some way our Lord Jesus and our Blessed Mother in heaven let you reach me and let me know you are okay, happy, and love where you are. Frank, also, please somehow let me know how much I hurt you and if you somehow remember and love us. If I had to do or live my life all over again, I would have never ever left you alone, not even for a minute after I got to eat the ER room and they intubated and transported you to Methodist. Also, sweetheart, I at least would have held your hand while they were at the ER room figuring out what to do with you and you were slipping away from me forever on this earth. I thank you, my sweetheart. There's like a big gap, by the way, between these paragraphs. I thank you, my sweetheart, for coming back in November 10th, 1994, last year, to say goodbye to me and to give me the biggest goodbye hug in the world and one I needed to have from you and also give it from my heart to you. So and then the second letter was uh, from a friend of mine. He gave this to me. And I have to say, I think for me, it's like it encapsulates a lot of, I think, what I went through and I think I still am going through. Dear Marisol, there is nothing I can say that will make you feel better. There is nothing I can say that will help what you are going through. I can only tell you what it was like for me and what it will be like for you. There will be times when you will forget about him and there will be times when you will hate yourself forever forgetting. There will be times when you will scream and crash and throw your fists against the wall, and there will be times when you will sit alone and quiet and remember. You will never understand why, and you will never know what might have been, and you may forget his birthday, but you will never forget that day, because it has changed your life forever. Somewhere in your laughter, <laughs> there will always be a touch of sadness, you will have to tell this tale over and over to anyone who asks, and you will never count another day without knowing it was one more he didn't have. You have lost a younger brother, and I an older one some years ago. I hope they are someplace better where stupid, senseless shit like this doesn't happen. Thank you. My name is Jane Entwistle, and I read a letter to the infamous Ron Jeremy. This is a true story. <clears throat> I'd like to send this letter. Dear Ron Jeremy. <laughs> First of all, I just need to make sure, does everyone know who Ron Jeremy is? 
Yes. Does anybody not? Besides my mother, who has decided to come to this show of all shows, besides my mother, does anyone not know who Ron Jeremy is? Okay. Ron Jeremy is a porn star. And he's one of the most famous porn stars. And he's pretty homely, but he's, he's got a lot of talents. <laughs> He's super flexible. So just, okay, all right, everyone? Dear Ron Jeremy, this letter has been a long time coming, much like yourself. <clears throat> I still can't decide whether to feel pride or abject shame that one of my first performances in Hollywood was in a movie with you. I'm embarrassed to admit that I cannot bring myself to watch the product of our creativity. I stood beside you once in a shipping store. I was mesmerized by the male customers huddled together in corners, their eyes shining with awe and jealousy, and a weird camaraderie I will probably never feel. I wanted to lean over and let you know we were in a movie together, but the thought of those eyes scanning my body, trying to remember which movie, made me think better of it, and I held my tongue. I wish, in fact, I'd held my tongue from the beginning, kept silent, not said a word. But I was new to Hollywood, green, naive, and ever so desperate. I imagine you experienced that a lot at the peak of your career. Shiny, desperate actors and actresses willing to believe that this performance would make them famous. I should have known the project was questionable when I auditioned for it on the toilet. I was in San Francisco for the Fringe Festival and getting ready for a reunion with old friends. I hadn't been in Los Angeles long, and my only credit so far was appearing on an episode of I Didn't Know I Was Pregnant. As a reenactor, I was not, I was not. <laughs> That's another letter altogether. I was using my friend Judy's bathroom, more specifically the toilet, when my old flip phone rang. I stared down at it on the bathroom rug and saw a San Francisco number that looked an awful lot like the work number of a friend I was about to meet. Angry that she was still at work moments before we were to meet and ignoring my staunch rule of not talking while on the toilet on my phone, I answered with an angry, what? I was taken aback by the man's voice on the other end, apologizing for bothering me and saying he meant to call Jane Entwistle. Oh, this is she, I said. This is Greg with Watermark Pictures. You recently submitted your voiceover demo to a casting notice we posted on Craigslist. Oh, yes, I stammered, thrilling at the possibility of an audition. Well, we loved your demo and want you to an audition for a feature film. Really? He proceeded to tell me all about the film, how it was about a dog named Sadie who moves to Hollywood to become an actress, just like me, except I'm not a dog. <laughs> how they were using real dogs but actors' voices, how he wanted me to audition for the role of Cluck the Chicken, and how since it was voiceover, there was no point making a trip all the way out to the studio. We could just knock it out right here. On the phone? I squeaked. Yes, on the phone. Is that convenient to you? I looked around the bathroom and thought, well, it's 
At least it's private and somewhat soundproof. So the movie is called Porn Dogs, he announced matter-of-factly. I'm sorry, uh, wait, what? Did, did you say porn dogs? Yes, but I assure you, Jane, it's not a porn. It's a spoof on porn. In an attempt to make it in Hollywood, Sadie, the lead dog, gets herself caught up in a porno film starring dogs. And you should know, it's my dog playing Sadie, and she's having the time of her life. <laughs> he asked if I had any reading material handy, and I looked frantically from side to side and found a self-help magazine down beside the toilet. He instructed me to open it to a random page and start reading in my best chicken voice, because all actors have such a voice waiting at the ready. <laughs> I stood up off the toilet with phone in one hand, magazine in the other, and pants and underwear around my ankles, and I shuffled over to the sink. I laid the magazine down and looked at myself in the mirror and said something I'm sure you had to say to yourself at one point, Mr. Jeremy. This is Hollywood calling, don't fuck this up. I took a deep breath, opened up my mouth, and hoped for the best. And I know you know what I mean, Ron. <laughs> Brock! You have to love yourself! <laughs> Greg laughed and said he hadn't known what a chicken would sound like, but that I nailed it. <laughs> I felt relieved, proud that I had risen to the challenge and not backed down because it was really awkward. Grinning from ear to ear, I was ready to hang up the phone and pull up my pants. But then he said, so I'd like to do a little improvising, if that's OK with you. OK, let me set up the scene for you. Cluck the chicken wants to audition for the movie within the movie, and the director within the movie is not having it. The director is being played by this really talented bulldog who is based on Larry Flint. Do you know who that is? I think so, hi Mumbo. <laughs> Great, so the actor we have to play the voice of the bulldog is Ron Jeremy. Please don't be offended, Mr. Jeremy, Ron, but this is where I sort of freaked out. You have had a prolific career and you obviously have talents, enviable talents few can claim to have, but <laughs> You're also Ron the Hedgehog Jeremy, an irrefutable porno star, nay, King. And I still haven't pulled up my pants. Ron? Ron Jeremy? But, but he's a porn star, I protested, my voice pitching up. He is, but again, this is not a porn. Some of the other actors are Carmen Electra, Heidi Fleiss. <laughs> Dustin Diamond, formerly Screech from Safe by the Bell, who's now a porn star. They're all porn stars, I pointed out, feeling slightly hysterical. Too Short is in it, and Paul Rodriguez plays the voice of the Chihuahua, he countered. Oh, well, if Too Short is in it. I finally acquiesce as he promises me that the project is a sweet story about doggies having fun in a porn. I return to the mirror and my reflection, and I feel different knowing that I'm about to trade something, but I'm not quite clear what it is. 
Did you feel like that the first time, Mr. Jeremy? I assume you welcomed the opportunity with open arms, but I could be wrong. The director wanted me to improvise some lines that Cluck the Chicken might say to the bulldog as played by you, Ron Jeremy, and feeling I had nothing left to lose with my bare ass hanging out in Judy's bathroom, I said, Brock, I'll peck your dick for a dollar. <laughs> he said he was gonna put that line in the movie. When I finally opened the bathroom door, having secured the roll and my pants, Judy stared at me with her mouth hanging open. What the hell are you doing in my bathroom? I just got cast in a film with Ron Jeremy. In my bathroom? I got paid $50 for that roll, and I recorded it alone in a sound booth in Hollywood. We never met. The closest we came was that shipping store. I wanted to introduce myself to you and commiserate. I wanted us to laugh behind our hands at the things we do to further ourselves, the things we trade for the almost imperceptible inching forward. I wanted you to hug me and say, it's okay. We all do crazy shit for fame. No one cares. I care that I was so desperate. I didn't dare take the time to pull up my pants for fear of losing. <laughs> In writing this letter, I've determined that it's the movie itself I should take my cue from, not you. If the movie was up for an Oscar, I'd tell the world we were in it together. <laughs> so it's time I watched Porn Dogs <laughs> and decided for myself. And in the meantime, I will endeavor to keep my pants on and you you will probably tear yours off to some really cheesy music while someone delivers a pizza. <laughs> All the best, Jane. You have been listening to To Whom It May Concern, produced by Jane Entwistle and Justin Crane, and recorded live at the Lyric Hyperion Theatre and Cafe. To submit your letter, even if you live far away, we'll read it for you. To subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a single letter, or to drop us a line, because we love receiving letters. Visit readyourletter.com. You can't beat degradation for some surefire fun. I hope you haven't had enough yet, because we've only just begun.